This is Beekeeper Confidential. I'm your host, Mandy Shaw. It's officially spring! <laughs> I've spotted drones coming and going from two colonies, and when I walk past my hives now, I can smell their sweetness. Next week, we're going to hit a stretch of days in the upper 60s. That means I'm going into my hives for the first time since November. My heart is racing. Because I love sharing bee stories with you, and I've been blessed with generous support from the patrons of this podcast, I've been able to purchase a little camera, and I've begun learning how to use video editing software so that I can bring you videos from my apiaries and swarm catching adventures. I'll be posting these videos to my Beekeeper Confidential YouTube channel and on my Patreon page, which you can find at patreon.com forward slash Mandy Shaw where for as little as a dollar a month, you can help support the work that I'm doing here. Other ways to support this podcast include leaving reviews, sharing and liking on social media, telling your friends about it, or rocking a Beekeeper Confidential sticker. They're available for $5 in my online store at waggleworkspdx.com. Today's guest is a veteran of the Marine Corps who's found a second career in beekeeping, after joining the Marines at a young age and serving two deployments in Iraq, he discovered the balance and peace that working with bees can bring. His family saw how working with bees had a positive impact on his life, and together, he and his brother launched a business to help bring the power of beekeeping to other veterans just like him. Meet Kyle Mao from Brothers and Bees. Beekeeper Confidential. You can say anything. <laughs> um, I found out about you guys. Somebody tagged Beekeeper Confidential in a photograph of you guys on Instagram. That was probably a subtle hint from one of my listeners to interview you guys. <laughs> Let's start at the very beginning. A very good place to start. I enlisted in the uh, Marine Corps at uh, 17. Had you always so, wanted to go into the Marines? Not always, but, you know, it, it was getting to that point in uh, high school where, like, am I really going to go to college? Oh, am I going <laughs> to go or am I just going to waste money? So I opted to uh, join the Marine Corps. Was this just a complete surprise for your family? Complete surprise. Uh, <laughs> both my, both my uh, grandparents were uh, in the uh, Navy. So my my grandfather on both my uh, mother's and father's side. Wow. 
Wow. So you went into the Marines at 17. Prior to that, had you been interested in entomology or pollinators? Um, I always found ants and superorganisms pretty fascinating in how they organize and work and propagate. I always found it really interesting. I definitely didn't have those words for it at that age. And how long were you in the Marines? I have long since been out. My contract ended in October of 2007. Oh, wow. So when your contract ended, was it hard for you to transition? Um, the transition was, was a little rough, I'd say. Um, uh, There's definitely some, some bumps in the road. I was definitely ready to be done with it. Mm-hmm. I uh, kind of felt like I got all I could get out of it. Yeah. But yeah, transitioning back to civilian life was not, uh, was not the smoothest of transitions. Most Are there people... programs in place to help veterans make that transition? I believe there are now, and that's kind of uh, that's kind of like things I, I'd like to get brothers and bees involved in because there weren't really there, there wasn't really anything available to me when I got out. Yeah, it made that it made that transition pretty rough, and the VA has does not have the best track record for looking after people mm-hmm. afterward. And uh, yeah, it was uh, there was there was definitely some rough patches, but. Wow. And you were in combat, is that correct? Yes, ma'am. I uh, served two uh, deployments to Iraq. Um, I was there in 2004, 2005 in the winter, and, and I was in uh, Al Iskandaria, living on a power plant for my first pump. Then the second tour, we uh, did a med float. So it's where you um, hop on a ship, and the ship does, they call them gator squares, so it just does a grid square and slowly but surely gets to its destination in the Mediterranean. And then we go through the Med and then float down the uh, Suez Canal. And then we are uh, we get into uh, the Middle East via that route. Wow. So the second, my second deployment was, the first one was, I think, eight, seven, eight, eight months. The second one was also about six, six or seven months. But we were on the ship the majority of the time. I think we was only like three or four months in country. In comparison to a honeybee colony, would you say of being on a ship where everybody has their specified roles and everybody has to keep a rigid schedule? Knowing what you know now about honeybees, would you say that there are some comparisons? I'd say so. Uh, I guess the Marines on a Navy vessel would kind of be like the drones. We're only there when we're needed. (laughs) So after you got out, what led you to beekeeping? It was uh, kind of a backwards turn of events. I uh, bounced around the country for a little bit. I moved to Montana, met some people who were beekeepers out there. really didn't jump out at me. Then I uh, moved back after bouncing around in the Northwest and went to Asia for a little bit. And then I moved back home in 2014 and then uh, decided to go back to school. Then I enrolled in a uh, veteran's organic farming certification at Del Val. Oh, wow. And yeah, yeah, they were they're very very vet friendly at this school. Enrolled in that and uh, decided to, uh, I got the certificate and I looked at my course load and I was like, wow, I just completed like thirty percent of classes for a bachelor's degree and I decided, you know, why not just go and get a bachelor's? And I um, am about to finish up my bachelor's of sustainable agriculture. Wow, congratulations! And, uh, thank you. And it was I guess two years ago when I took Dr. Vincent Aloya's beekeeping class and just kind of fell in love with it. Big late, got there early to help him set up, and I guess in that, that April, Vince calls me up, and he's like, if you want to swarm, there's one in Bridgeport, you better move quick. <laughs> yeah, so, 
catching experience I had so much adrenaline going through my body was that kind of like it was for you I think it was pretty intense it definitely had its moments of adrenaline like watching videos and hearing people talking talking about it is like entirely different than doing it yeah I was just worried I was gonna roll the queen or crush the queen mm-hmm. in some way but it was, uh, it was definitely a really interesting experience after that you just started keeping bees in your backyard yeah, yeah. I mean, I was gonna, I was gonna get a package. Mm-hmm. So I kind of decided that before then, I was gonna get a package, and yeah, then the swarm came in. I still have the remnants of that, but it's it's one of my strongest hives for oh, sure. Oh, nice. When you were working with the bees in the beginning, when did you realize the therapeutic value of being a beekeeper and working with a hive? I kind of noticed it like uh, with the amount of. Um, time I was spending with Dr. Dr. Loyo before and after classes and just helping out where I can. Uh, I just, I thought there was, there was definitely something to this. Mm-hmm. Um, I, have to give, I have to give my brother credit because he was the one that, that made the push for uh, an organization. <laughs> he had the uh, observation. I just thought it was something, something fun to do. Yeah. And um, he's like, well, uh, you want to start a business? I'm like, yeah, I, I think I could be into, into that. Yeah, it's, it's helped me a lot. Calm me down. It's, it's, uh, Give me, kept me honest, so to speak. You can, <laughs> you can, you can blow off therapy, you can blow off yoga, you can do all these other things, but you gotta get into your apiary more yeah. belief. So my brother noticed, I guess, a significant change in me, and he asked if I want to start a business, and I'm like, I could be other than that. And he's like, Well, good, I already bought the domain. <laughs> and so that was the birth of brothers and bees. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Has the response to Brothers and Bees been what you expected at the beginning, or has the journey taken you in surprising new directions? It's been an interesting one, I'd have to say. Um, <laughs> a lot of support. A lot of people love the message, want to do it, and or want to help me, but it's just uh, it's hard to find. There's not enough me. And it, it, unfortunately, the uh, people who want to get most involved are like on the other side of the country. Yeah. I mean, my, my goal is to find other vets like me who could be dedicated, responsible, and want to help this grow and have them all over the country. I can only manage so much, you know? Like yeah. I have I have like a certain mile radius that I got to keep to or it's just not economically feasible. Like I can't, I can't be driving back and forth. The logistics of it all 
seeing that I'm like one of the like the only person really on the ground trying to make things work in the apiary and get things out there. It's uh, logistically, it's been it's been a bit difficult. Yeah, I always tell my friends and my family as bee season is coming up, I tell them that my schedule is about to explode, and it's like that yeah. for a good six months. So don't count on me for anything because I have to be there for the bees. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> I've entered a new job, and I, I told them, hey, man, like, <laughs> it's uh, school, <laughs> my business first, yeah. then work. Yeah, so I'm curious, you know, are there any other veteran enrichment programs like this, or programs I, for I, veterans that focus on taking a hobby and engaging in it for its therapeutic value for its community service value i haven't found many people that are uh doing what i'm doing certainly not exactly what i'm doing i've yeah. i've um come into contact with some other veteran beekeepers but i don't think they're going about it the way i'm doing it trying to just get people into it no at no cost to them yeah because i believe it has some therapeutic benefit but i'm I'm working on uh, solidifying that statement, though. Yeah. Uh, I've enrolled in grad school for uh, counseling psych. So. Whoa, man! <gasps> That's incredible. Uh, anecdotes and anecdotal evidence are great, but it's always better to back up your claims with hard facts. I guess I'll have to face cold hard facts. Okay, tell me about your apiary. Um, uh, my apiary is coming out of this winter with nine colonies nice you're in pennsylvania were you guys affected by the polar vortex oh yeah oh, oh yeah okay what happened only, only lost one so far and i mean like it's uh it was one of the one of my nukes I, I don't know what your methods of winterization are in oregon but uh for some of my colonies if they're small enough i reduce them down to nukes mm -hmm. and then i put two nukes together and wrap them up in insulation so they can share share the residual heat do you wrap them walls. up side by side or stacked on top of each other? I do side by side. I think the the heat would disperse a little bit better. But yeah, they're uh, pretty strong. I gotta try and get out there uh, this weekend if weather permits it and check on their food stores. And so, what do you do for winterization besides wrapping them? Feed them. Do you do like dry sugar or candy boards or fondant? Um, I made my own fondant this past winter. And then leading up to winter, like I, I always look at that summer into fall transition is where you're like really getting them ready for going into winter. What are your practices for dealing with varroa and dearth and all that yucky stuff that happens? My, uh, my main treatment right now, I'm going to try and branch out. I've just been doing like the... Uh oxalic uh, sugar water drip mm -hmm. with a syringe. I try to get them either like when their brood cycle is broken. Are um, you in a, an area of really high density beekeeping or are you a little more spread out from other beekeepers? I'd say I'm a little bit more spread out. Mm -hmm. I mean, Del, my, my campus is pretty, I guess, three or four miles away from where I live. So, I mean, I guess that would be one of the closest ones. But I'm sure yeah. there, there are other hobbyist beekeepers that don't really advertise their presence too much, so. <laughs> yeah, I'm always curious. You know, like, in, in Portland, it's pretty high density. There's so many beekeepers here. And we oh, yeah. also have higher winter losses from 
grow up. Well, I feel like you're probably getting running into that to the people who don't treat at all. There are quite a few treatment-free beekeepers, and I know some that do it really well. And I think that, like, maybe when people are first getting into beekeeping, they like this idea of being treatment-free. I mean, I still like the idea of being treatment-free, but to pull it off without putting your neighboring colonies at risk is something I think people need to think about. (laughs) Yeah, it's like you have to handle these. These are going to be susceptible to it. And if you don't, they're going to get weak. And if they they don't get hit by the varroa, they'll get hit by something else. Yeah, yeah. So if you notice that you have a colony that's weak, you know, after the summer flow, what do you do to get them built up? It depends on how weak they are. After the summer flow, I usually start start feeding back up mm-hmm. with the syrup. And um, sometimes, if it's, if it's if it's a weaker colony, I'll just go like a two to one instead of a one to one ratio of sugar syrup. Sometimes, if they're really weak, if I have two weak colonies, I'll usually just combine them together. Yeah, I'm always curious about colonies that like have a really nice brood pattern. And they seem healthy, but the colony just kind of stays small. <laughs> like I ran into that with with two of my colonies this year, and like they weren't sick. They didn't have high mite counts, but they just kind of stayed small. But so far, they're still alive. So I'm I'm curious to see if the springtime, if they will really take off, or if they'll continue to be kind of a small colony. Hey, I mean that's consistent. That sounds like a consistent colony. They're not. They're not exploding. They're not expanding too fast. I mean, yeah. how are the, how are they? Uh, like, what, what were they producing? Um, no honey for me. <laughs> no honey. Oh no. Yeah, I mean they 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 made enough. They like as we were transitioning into late fall, they had started backfilling the brood nest. Uh, but these are colonies that are in single deeps. So. Oh. Yeah. Wow. So we'll see. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I guess a lack of space. That's that's very that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, I'd like to, yeah, I'd like to hear how they how they deal with the winter, please. Yeah, it's like okay, they're still alive. Um, spring is a month away. If they can just pull through for one more month, then we'll you know see what happens. <laughs> Since this episode was taped, we've had ice and snow and freezing temperatures. But now the temps are much warmer, and the colonies are foraging, populations are looking good, and bottom board readings indicate that they're now working most of the combs in their hives. And two of the colonies we just mentioned that are in single deeps have begun drone rearing. I'll be keeping a close watch on them for swarm prep, and my plan is to make splits off of them in early to mid-April if weather permits. Uh, Do you uh, check on them during the winter, or...? I don't open my hives during the winter. I watch oh. the bottom board inserts for wax cappings, uh, debris, varroa drop. Um, I did do an oxalic acid vaporization in December and got a good mite drop from those. But beyond that, I, I keep the hives closed. And I insulate um, with a wrap around the hive, and then I also do quilt boxes. I'll put candy in there, like, in November. But other than that, I don't open it. (laughs) Yeah, I'm living on the edge over here. 
looking ahead for 2019, how can people get involved with the organization or how can they help you do what you're doing in a way that's not pulling you away from your responsibilities? Well, they can always buy our honey, of course, donate. What I'd like to do is if I could find interested uh, established beekeepers who are also veterans mm-hmm. and maybe they or other beekeepers who would like to sponsor a veteran in their area mm-hmm. and just keep an eye on them, show them the ropes. Also, in 2019, we uh, have a partnership with Baron Yeager, it's a honey liqueur, and nationwide, 10 cents of every bottle they sell uh, will get donated to our cause. Nice. That's incredible. Did they find you guys and make that offer? Yeah, Instagram. Wow. They, wanted to, they found us and wanted to get involved. In 2019, for every bottle of Baron Yeager honey liqueur that's sold in the United States, they'll make a donation to Brothers and Bees. So have a little Baron Yeager party and help put bees into the care of our veterans. Look for Baron Yeager Honey Liqueur at a liquor store near you. And that's not a commercial, by the way. I'm just telling you. I really love what you're doing. I think it's incredible. And I think that it's amazing that beekeeping is a hobby that can engage the community in ways that no other hobby can. And I love that you're you're taking your enjoyment of it to a level that brings healing and education to people. Thank you, Amanda. That was very, very nice of you to say. All right. Well, Kyle, I know you've got a lot on your plate and a lot going on, so I won't keep you any longer. But thank you so much for talking with me today. It's been a real pleasure getting to know you. Again, thank you for uh, having me on your podcast, Amanda. Yeah. Much appreciated. All right. Thanks, Kyle. All right, take care, Amanda. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. If you want to learn more about Kyle and Brothers and Bees, check out my blog at I'll include links, pictures, and more from today's episode. And if you want to participate in growing Kyle's network of veteran beekeepers, or if you are a beekeeper who wants to mentor a veteran near you, you can do so by contacting Kyle through his website at brothersandbees.com. There's so much beekeeping on the horizon, and it's a pleasure to be able to share it with all of you. Thanks for listening. Until next time, may the buzz be with you. Beekeeper Confidential is a Waggle Works production and is written and produced by Mandy Shaw. It's officially spring! Oh, stop woofing! <laughs>